experience has been like with diagnosis and living with dementia. Well, I'm very pleased um, to have with us today, Jay Reinstein. He joins us um, from uh, near Raleigh, North Carolina, or in Raleigh, I should say, North Carolina. Um, welcome, Jay. Thank you. Welcome. It's great to be here. So, Jay, I know we're going to, I, I want to delve more into your story, but first I need to talk about the topic, of course, everybody is talking about, which is coronavirus. Um, you know, we are seeing um, um, the U.S. here in the U.S. Um, a lot more stringent measures to um, combat the virus and slow down, um, slow down the growth of the virus, the contagion. Now, for many people like yourself, that means social isolation. Well, for all of us, for that matter. But I can imagine um, as someone um, diagnosed with dementia, it would be especially difficult. So tell us, um, how, how's it going so far? It's been a challenge. I mean, it's honestly been a challenge. I know that uh, one of the things that I really try to impress upon myself and, and others is the importance of someone that has a diagnosis to be social and get out there and meet with people and just hang out with friends, go to events. Um, this has been a game changer. Uh, for me, it is uh, really kept my wife and I at the house uh, I've been able to go to the store to pick up groceries. Um, uh, I've been very involved with the Alzheimer's Association here in Eastern North Carolina, and it has limited the ability for me to get involved in any of the activities that I was involved in. And being someone that likes to be out and about, um, haven't been able to do anything. Uh, except washing my hands a lot. <laughs> That's why, yeah, we all belong, like, we all have cuts on our fingers now, I think, from washing them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's been, I think it's, you know, a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, you get a little depressed when you can't do much of anything except, you know, watch Netflix and, of course, talk to your significant other, and that's great. Um, uh, but I think not getting out is very difficult and they're saying that this could be around for a while. So it does concern me a lot. Do you, um, I mean, I know it's still early days and everything, but have you found any coping me mechanisms? I mean, are you meeting online with people? I mean, any, any tips for really just trying to break that isolation? Cause I know it can be so difficult. Yeah, well, it, so far, uh, the meetings that have been canceled for me, we've been able to use uh, Zoom or Blue Jeans, which is another platform, and that's helped us sort of keep in touch. It's different than that, you know, face-to-face. -face. It's helped just talking to folks on the phone. Um, I like to read, and what I have found since my diagnosis, trying to read a book and just retaining uh, what I read is difficult. So it sort of limits what I can do. So, you know, again, sitting out on the, on the porch for a little bit in the pollen um, or uh, just hanging out in the house and spending time with my wife. Yeah, it's a, it's much of the same for everyone. I think we're going all we're all going a bit stir crazy inside. Um, Jay, let's talk first about um, your story. I know that you were you know you worked for government um, for many years. Um, you must be used to dealing with crises, but now you're on the other side. You know, you're one of us now. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, you're you're young. You're you're just in your late fifties. And you were recently given a diagnosis just about a year ago. A year and a half ago, yeah. So um, 
uh, you know, I have I had about a 25 year in 25 year career in local government. About a year, two years ago, I started experiencing some issues just with my short term memory. And um, I remember a situation that happened when I was meeting with a community group and someone had asked me specifically about the departments that I supervise, uh, and which were six at the time. And I couldn't recall one. And then soon thereafter, uh, we were working on some hurricane recovery uh, projects and which was really in my portfolio and meeting with the city manager uh, asked me some basic questions. I couldn't recall the project. So at that point, I thought, you know, let me call my friend at Duke. He's a neurologist. Um, he was able to get me in pretty quickly. I did a neuropsychological assessment. Uh, I came back several months later. I did another assessment and it was at that time I went to the Duke Memory Disorders Clinic. Um, they did an MRI. Uh, they found that I had some brain abnormalities, most likely younger onset Alzheimer's. And I also had what they call the APOE4 gene. So it was a punch in the gut, a game changer. And quite honestly, um, I didn't really know what I was going to do because, again, I wanted to work another 10 years. I loved being a public servant. And with that diagnosis, I thought about it for a week, you know, and it was at that point my wife and I talked and I said, let me talk to my boss, the city manager, share the story. And I felt like the I was embraced by everybody, my staff, the community, the public officials, and it really gave me that opportunity to raise that awareness and give me a purpose. And yeah. that, that, that's wait, before we go on, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I mean, support is so necessary, you know, yeah. especially when confronting. I want to back up just a little bit, though, um, to that stage where I mean, you started at the point where you were like, oh, something must be wrong. I can't remember this. But I'm assuming that wasn't one of the first incidences. Like, no. And what's interesting to me is sometimes when I ask people, I mean, it's usually it's come to memory when um, you actually seek help at a doctor. But I'm wondering, like, back up a bit. When did you first think mm, something may be wrong outside of like real? I mean, because what you describe in the workforce, that's pretty scary. Like, you know, you're dealing with, um, you know, a big topic, hurricane relief, and bam, you can't remember. So I'm wondering, were there any signs before that? I think so. I mean, I, I know so. Um, I, I probably even go back five years and I don't really talk about it that much. I, I But uh, there were times where I was just having trouble understanding. I'd be in a room and I'd be hearing stuff and it wasn't really clicking in my brain. Uh, I wasn't comprehending it. I didn't want to really go to anybody. So I sort of let it go. I noticed I started making lists uh, back probably four years ago, five years ago, where just everything had a list. And even with my wife sticking stuff, uh, post-it notes, in different places in the house so I wouldn't forget stuff. But a lot of it I thought was really just, listen, I had a big job, information overload, you know, it's just goes with the, goes with the territory. But my, um, 
uh, uh, co-workers, the other city managers, other assistants, didn't seem to be having the problem that I was, weren't working the long hours. I was leaving at night, usually at around eight o'clock at night. Uh, people were usually getting out at six and I would often hear, Jay, get out of here, go home. I'd say, yeah, 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 I got to work on some stuff. It took me a lot longer. And I think it was really at work where I noticed it years back more so than uh, just those latest things that I talked about initially. You know, it's so interesting you say that because when we ask that question repeatedly, um, it it it's a productivity signal rather than a memory signal, right? It's like I'm actually becoming less productive than I used to be. And, you know, I can understand why a lot of people would just associate that with normal aging, right? We, we all become more forgetful or we maybe don't think as fast as we used to in our 20s or 30s. Um, but it's interesting to hear you say that because it really is a repeated, um, it, it's something that comes up a lot. And it's, and the reason why I always ask it and I want to bring attention to it is I'm wondering, is research looking at this disease early enough, right? When was the first, and there's always stories in hindsight. In hindsight, I wasn't as productive or in hindsight, I felt like I had ADD, you know, it, it's, right. it's, it's something like that. Um, so you get a diagnosis and I imagine like so many other people, was it, was it hard to get a diagnosis? Most people don't just go to the doctors and say, oh yeah, it was early onset. They have to see, but it seems like yours was a lot more straightforward. I think it was, first of all, you know, um, I've always been someone very resourceful. Uh, I have a lot of contacts. I have friends that are doctors. Uh, I know the system and I made some calls. And fortunately, if it was not for my friend at Duke, who is a neurologist, Dr. Friedman, it might've been another six months until I could have got my foot in the door. So I greatly appreciated that, that connection. Um, but once I did, probably from beginning to end, from the first time I saw him, got the neuropsychological, it was probably about nine months, nine to 12 months before I actually got the diagnosis. I knew something was going on, but uh, no formal diagnosis for probably about a year. I mean, that's pretty quick. And, you know, in the, we've heard stories of five years before people actually yep. got a conclusive diagnosis. Yeah. So you get the diagnosis and you talk about this period of depression, which is completely mm -hmm. normal. I mean, I, right. I don't know a single person who wouldn't feel depressed. Um, right. how, tell us a little bit how you managed that those first you know, days when you were handed down this, this diagnosis. Well, um, I think if it were not for my wife and my daughter, who uh, have just been amazing from a caregiver perspective and just family. My parents are amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm just very, very fortunate to have some really great people in, in my life. And then my friends, um, I was afraid, I was embarrassed actually, because I thought immediately, you know, there's that stigma there when you, when you receive that diagnosis or people hear Alzheimer's, they pretty much feel oh, life's over, you know, uh, move on. And, and that was very hurtful because there were whisperings in the workplace when I did get the diagnosis. There were some people, because I stayed another four months, they were very nice to me, sort of transitioned out. But there were whisperings that there were a couple folks that I heard said, you know, why is he still in the organization? He's making decisions that impact an organization in the community. But it was very hurtful. Um, 
And, and I think that just surrounding myself with the right people, finding that purpose, finding the Alzheimer's Association. And then I think probably one of the big things is what am I going to do for the rest of my life and how am I going to support myself? Because um, I was very fortunate and one of the few people now that probably gets a pension, but um, I only had 25 years in the system and I had to figure out a way uh, working with the state, I was able to get the, uh, called an unreduced pension. And then uh, the ability to try to really navigate through the social security disability system. And that's, that's something that was really eye-opening for me and a story that I share with folks because what you hear, there's a thing called co the a compassionate allowance that is supposed to help expedite people once they get specifically this diagnosis. It was approved by Social Security several years ago. When I went to Social Security office, the person never heard of the compassionate allowance. Then I get denied 90 days later. Then I have to get an attorney and the attorney said, you'll get denied again and it'll be another 18 months. Oh my gosh. Then I decided because I have, you know, I know politically, I know every senator and congressman has an office of constituent affairs so I was able to meet with Senator Tom Tillis. I told him my story. I sent my medical file to his aide, his assistant, and within five weeks I was approved. And the moral of the story is, is people out there need to be able to use their elected officials to help expedite the system because the compassionate allowance and the legal system doesn't seem to help much. And people need these dollars uh, to actually live and survive. So, so um, I guess just to back up a little bit, because it no. is, I mean, we've heard people, what they have to go through to really understand what their benefits are, especially people who have younger onset. Um, how do you, uh, you know, we've heard those stories of in order to qualify for Medicaid, you need to spend down your savings. You basically have to bankrupt yourself, right? Before you can actually qualify for Medicaid. So um, the compassionate allowance, how did you find out about it? How did you know about it? And um, without the help of your congressperson, would you have been able to get it? Well, I'll be honest with you. I'd probably still be waiting for that first check. Um, the Alzheimer's Association, the North Carolina chapter, actually the Eastern North Carolina chapter, when I got involved with them and I told them that I was applying, they were the ones that told me, you really need to let them know about the compassion allowance that is supposed to help expedite and fast track the process. Um, and then it just so happened I was at the National Advocacy Conference in D.C. is when I was able to meet Senator Tillis and immediately he helped. But but I knew um, that congressmen and senators have those offices of constituent affairs. And um, I thought it was really a good opportunity for me to share my journey. And immediately he worked he worked to, to expedite the process. So it was working with the association that really told me about that allowance and then talking to my uh, elected officials who really fast tracked it for me. Sure. And they could do the same thing for others. Can, can I ask you a silly question? What exactly is the allowance? Is it is it a one off? Is it actually a monthly allowance? And, you know, is it enough to supplement income? Like, what is it? 
So the compassion allowance, all that does is your, your social security is based on the money that you put into social security. So depending on how much money. So for instance, I worked for God, I mean, I've worked probably for 40 years. They go back, they looked at my entire um, uh, social security, um, the money that I paid into it. And it was based on the, uh, like I was almost like 68 years old. They took the highest level of my social security, what it would be at 68. And that is what I'm receiving now until I'm 65. So I get a really nice you're, you're, you're 58 now. I'm 58. So yeah. I'm going to get this, this check for uh, until I'm 65. When I turn 65, I will immediately get my regular social security, which will be about the same amount. Now, what's really important for folks to know with this SSDI, if you're 55 and you get approved for it, by the time in two years, there's a 24 month waiting period, then you get Medicare. Now I've lost, I, I'm going to have no insurance soon. And that 24 month waiting period for Medicare is going to give me my health insurance as well. And I will have that until I'm 65. And then when I turn 65, I'll have the, I'll, I'll continue the Medicare. So I'll have it for life now. So yeah. it really is critical that people who are diagnosed go to social security, fill out that form and make sure they get assistance to fill it out. Um, uh, with a lot of details because the details are what's critical for getting that approval. So, and you got the approval pretty quickly, but again, you five weeks. Yeah. But that's amazing. I've never heard of anything, anyone trying to figure, I mean, it usually takes months to get an answer. Let alone. Uh, I, so it took me, so I took me 90 days to get an answer that I was denied. I think it was three or four months. Then I got an attorney. I waited another three months. They said it would be denied again and it would have to go before a judge. I can't remember the type of judge. It could be up to 18 months. And at that point I said, you know what? I'm done with this. This is outrageous. I have a diagnosis. I've paid into the system. I deserve the money. And when I talked to my elected official, I got a letter in 10 days after I sent my medical stuff saying that social security had received it. And then in five weeks, I got my first check direct deposited. It was amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. So um, I have an, I have another question though on the emotional side. I mean, I'm someone with, with your job and it was very demanding. It sounds like you liked working. Um, what was that like to stop working? Oh God, it was, um, it was painful. Um, I felt less, I hate to say less of a man, but what I think was most difficult when I, you know, when you get together with your friends, oftentimes people are talking shop and it's what happened in the office. What'd you do here? What projects are going on? You know, how did the council meeting go? All of that seemed to disappear from my life. And honestly, I was a workaholic and it was just something that it was such a huge void. So it was really very difficult for me. I mean, I would say for probably the first six months, I I don't know if I was clinically depressed, but I was depressed. Um, and it was just the ability for me to, to find that purpose through the Alzheimer's Association, speaking to small groups, large groups, and sharing my journey and letting people know that life ain't over 
and to stay positive, uh, but with the understanding that, you know, things are going to change in my life and it might change in two years. It might change in five years. I, I don't know, but I try to be a, ha a glass half full kind of person. Um, and I, I, I try to be positive. I think people think, oh God, he's always so upbeat. I'm not always so upbeat. Yeah. No, understandably. How, tell me about day-to-day -day life. Um, are you, uh, you know, again, I mean, I, I, I hope I don't offend you when I say this, but when no. I speak to you, I, I think, well, but Jay, you know, you seem like you don't, you don't really seem like you have Alzheimer's. Obviously I know I'm not with you 24 seven and I'm sure, right. but, but how, how is the disease? I mean, do you feel like because you're staying so busy, it's not really, you're, you know, is it progressing? Um, is it like, how are you seeing it manifest if at all? Yeah, I mean, again, I think the uh, most difficult things for me at times are um, uh, word finding, finding the right word, um, my short-term memory. Um, reading retention is a big one um, where I'll read a chapter and I can't remember what I read from one chapter to the next. I think the thing that really jumped out at me uh, several months ago, you know, watching a series on television, and um, my wife, I would remember on, on occasion would get annoyed because I couldn't remember characters from week to week. I mean, it just was difficult for me. Um, I think a lot of it is just sort of fear of the unknown. Um, uh, my driving, again, I use GPS pretty much wherever I go. Um, my directions, I've always had issues, been a bit directionally challenged. Now I find myself more. Um, I write a lot of lists um, to really keep up with stuff. Um, the last time I went to my neurologist, they said that, you know, it was progressing slowly. He was very happy with my progress to date. You know, um, I go back, I go twice a year and uh, take my meds and I do what they tell me to do. How was it to, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the medication because that's all, that's a sticking point for a lot of people. You know, they're put yeah. on different medications. They don't know if it's working. Take us through a little bit about what you were prescribed, if you don't mind sharing it and, you know, and if it's helping. Yeah. So I've been on Aricept for about 12 months and then I've been on Deluxetine, which is an antidepressant for about the same time, um, I, I feel less anxiety. Um, I can't tell you if my mind feels sharper than when I started uh, 12 months ago. I don't feel like I'm slipping. Um, I feel like it's, I don't feel like it's progressing that quickly. Um, you know, I, I think the, the medication that I think is most helpful is really the antidepressant because I do feel like it's taken a little bit off with the anxiety. I just, I, I don't feel like there's such an edge. It's taken the edge off a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure if there are other medications that will be, um, uh, you know, what other options there will be down the road. But right now they have me on the, uh, uh, I just forgot the name, uh, the Aricept. <laughs> just coming back on it. Um, yeah. So um, the, the antidepressant part of it, like before you were diagnosed, did you, was anxiety a problem for you? I mean, I think I was a little bit anxious. Um, uh, 
uh, I didn't notice it nearly what I notice now. I know I was seeing a therapist for a while uh, just with just to really help me talk through this um, before I got the diagnosis uh, and I knew I was having issues at work. I started seeing a therapist um, that was very helpful just to sort of talk through things. And really, the therapist helped me have the courage to let my employer know that I was having problems because I wanted to make sure I went out on a high note and uh, I wasn't ashamed about seeing a therapist and it was actually very helpful. But overall, um, you know, for me, I, I just really try to do what the doctors tell me to do. I don't miss my appointments uh, and I try to stay as active as I can. So one of the things um, I noted before my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I always thought that it was always a slippery slope that went down like that. But I realized the presence of Alzheimer's is not like that. It's much like this. You know, you have some good days and bad days. I mean, even, you know, my mom is much uh, more progressed than you are, but we, we have good days where we say, oh, wow, she's not that bad today. We call yeah. that periods of lucidity. I mean, it's, it's, it's more drastic with the, you know, you, you are at a very early stage, so it's yeah. probably less apparent with someone like you, but I'm yeah. just wondering from your perspective, do you feel sometimes there's days where you feel like, huh, I don't have this disease. Absolutely. And there are days that I feel like I have it. Like for instance, I don't know what the term is, and I, I think maybe I've heard this before, but my brain, I'll wake up in the morning and I almost feel like a fog, a little bit of confusion. I'm just not really sure what I need to do first. <laughs> uh, and I'm just not as sharp. And sometimes my mood, I get a little snippy. I notice that my frustration level is, I'm having more difficulty dealing, I don't want to say anger, but I get frustrated faster than I was maybe two years ago. Little things really get me aggravated. Something, I, just a quick story. I was on my um, computer and I mean, you know, I could do anything Microsoft. I didn't have any problems with Microsoft. Well, I could not remember how to cut and paste. And I'm telling you, I got so aggravated. I was ready seriously just to throw my computer. And I said, you know what? Let me relax. Then I went on Google and I walked myself through it. But those are the kind of little things that happen. And it makes me realize that things are a little different. Mm -hmm. And then there are those days where I feel pretty darn good. And I, I don't really think about the disease. I don't want the disease to define who I am. You know, I don't want to be, when I'm with my friends, People will ask me, how you feeling? I'll, I'll share a story or where maybe I've traveled to, but I don't want Alzheimer's to be the entire conversation. There's a lot more that I like talking about. And I think that has sometimes been difficult with some people, but you know, sort of how yeah, it I can imagine. And I can imagine you've become an advocate too. So sometimes it's probably hard to steer off the topic because now it's become a passion of yours. It is. Um, but back on the lucidity question, do you notice um, any triggers? Like what makes you feel better or worse? Is there, is there, you know, maybe if you, if you exercise and you went out for a run, do you feel like, is there anything that you've noticed uh, yeah. or your wife perhaps noticed has any influence on whether or not, you know, um, how you are in, on a particular day? 
Well, I will be very honest. I was really trying to do a good job of walking because it really was very good for my mental health. I felt more relaxed when I was done with the walk. I just felt better. And I've gotten into a little bit of a funk lately. I just can't motivate myself. But what I do notice when I'm in a very large crowd, a large group, I notice that my anxiety, I don't know what it is. There might be so many things going on in a room. It's very hard for me. And sometimes that will cause more anxiety. And the best thing for me is just to sort of step out. I know I was at a conference in Orlando and it was probably 1500 people. And I remember probably 15, 20 minutes into one of the sessions, I just didn't feel right. It was just way too much going on. Um, and I just finally decided, let me just let me just walk out a little bit. And I started to feel a little bit better. I, I, I'm not sure what that has to do with, but I know that I didn't remember that happening, happening to my brain three or four or five years ago. Um, um, but I, I do I do find that there are some days when I wake up, I just don't feel like I'm as on top of things. Uh, there's sort of that lack of consistency. Um, I used to always feel pretty much on top of my game. And now I feel like maybe it's slipping a little and maybe part of it is due to age and part of it is due to the disease. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us, tell us about a little bit about, you know, now your life of advocacy. Um, what are some of the messages that you're, you're trying to get out there? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased to be a part of the nationally early stage Alzheimer um, uh, group. And uh, recently I was appointed to the um, uh, National Board of Directors for the Alzheimer's Association. And uh, my focus area is strategic planning. But the big thing that, that the message I try to um, share and convey every chance I get is the fact that uh, try to reduce the stigma and letting people know that um, while I may have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, I still can be productive. We still can um, uh, do a lot of things in life, uh, enjoy our family, travel, drive maybe for a period of time. Um, and I hope that continues. Um, I'm also very involved with the Alzheimer's, you know, the walk to end Alzheimer's and I'm involved in some very big projects to raise money, partnerships, working with the NFL, also working with Walmart stores. Um, so there's just so much potential out there for me to share my story and my journey. And more importantly, letting people know that um, there is some amazing research going on. And one day, hopefully, as we say in Alzheimer's, I'll be able to carry that white flower, that first person that can carry the flower where they've you know, found a cure. Well, I have to say, Jay, that the um, the movement is very lucky to have you. I mean, you're certainly very inspirational and, you know, you make your positive attitude really goes a long way. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, 
If you want to keep up, um, if you missed part of this interview or you want to hear more um, of, of these interviews, please go to beingpatient.com. Um, on our website, you can always sign up for these interviews. Um, sign up, sorry, from our, for our newsletter, rather, and we will let you know and keep you um, abreast of the latest information. Um, thanks very much for watching, everyone. Stay safe out there. We're going to have more coronavirus coverage on Being Patient, so stay tuned.